Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. There's a noisy group out in the foyer. So if they could all come in and join us for some music. <laughs> and if you all want to stand with us, maybe we'll sing loud enough and I'll come in. Announcements next. Oh no. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Good morning. A few announcements here. My name is Gary. If you don't know me, um, if you don't know me, come on up after service and get to <laughs> if you can stand it. Um all right, so today, right after service, there is a membership class. 
So if you are thinking about becoming a member of the congregation or just want some information, um, come on up for that. That will be in the family life, and I assume there's lunch being served. Doesn't put say that on. Julie's trying to trip me up here. Uh, ladies fall soup social. Fall soup so that's like a tongue twister. That's October 16th, and there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Um, I still think is there is there a list for guys to come and test 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 taste this stuff. That 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 seems like it it should be a. Um, (laughs) Next week on the seventeenth, there will be a a potluck fellowship potluck after service, and uh, let's see. If your last name starts with A through M, bring a main dish, and if it's N through Z, bring a side dish or a salad. Dessert bread and drinks will be provided. If you have any questions on that that are above my pay grade, call Julie in the office or check with Lisa Schwarzenberg. There will be a district conference here, uh, the EFCA. That'll be Friday the 22nd and Saturday the 23rd, and we need volunteers to help with food. So um, there's a sign-up sheet for that in the foyer as well. There's a lot of sign-up sheets back there right now. Um, we will be having a family pumpkin carving evening on Wednesday the 27th, so the last Wednesday before Halloween. That will be at 5.30, and dinner will be provided. There's a theme here. You get this? Food. Uh, the sign-up sheet for that in the foyer. That one, uh, we really do need you to sign up if you want to come, mainly because we need to know how many pumpkins to bring, okay? So um, last thing, this is kind of, uh, personal for me, I guess. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, I've mentioned it a few times, but I'm a square dance caller. Have a lot of fun with it. Um, and we were floating around ideas for, for social events and um, thought, let's do a square dance. Okay, So uh, I have two purposes for that. One is for fellowship, just to get us all together and have a good time. The other is to introduce the activity to folks that might not know what it's all about and maybe generate some interest in, in folks to, uh, to come and take lessons. Um, so that will be on Friday, November 19th. And uh, we're trying to you know have a lot of lead time. I don't have a location yet. Um, we get people signed up. I'm gonna look into um, trying to find a spot with a hardwood floor that's a little bit better for dancing. If we need to, we'll do it somewhere here in the church and just have people wear blocks of wood on their shoes so that we no. so anyway that uh that will be coming um if you're interested if it sounds like fun sign up back there so we know that you uh, are interested this is a family activity but um be aware we need kids to be old enough to engage and and you know be paying attention and I've, i have had folks bring kids for uh lessons that they're just not really old enough to pay attention and be a part and then it just it gets frustrating for the kids and for the people that are out there so all right yes sir the 19th friday the november 19th that is a friday right (laughs) okay All right, that's all I've got right now. Let's uh, continue to worship.
So if we don't have a wood floor and we do the wood shoes, that could be the next craftsman's ministry is making wood shoes. Cloggers. There we go. All right, you want to stand with us?
we we were created for you. We were created to adore you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to do that and the privilege of that. Yeah. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. Kids are, are dismissed to their classes. Somebody's car is working. Am I there? All right. Good morning. Uh, you guys ever look at God's plan and think to yourself, what are you thinking? Uh, I was trying to think through what's a good illustration of this, and I, uh, I think may maybe this will connect. How many of you guys are familiar with Legos? Anybody? You guys familiar with Legos? We we went through a graduation process with Legos, and you you find that as you age, uh, not only do the prices go up to buy their products, uh, but the complexity goes up, right? And so you start off with the big blocks, and then you get a little bit smaller blocks, and then pretty soon they come with a manual to build what it is that you have purchased your child. On the box, it looks wonderful. It looks like this little truck. With it's got suspension and and it looks like it'll be really cool and cool. and it literally is like I think one of the manuals we had was probably more than fifty pages of instructions. Guess who's not good with reading instructions? But what's crazy about Legos and I think what really fits in this picture that we're going to look at today is that when the Legos in this process of building, you go to page one and it says go collect these parts and you, you go and you grab these pieces and you build this little part of, of the product and then you don't see anything about it after that for a little while. It's like you go to the next page and it says go grab other pieces and you're going to build these other parts. And after a sequence of building parts, you have things kind of stacked all around. And then it says, go back and get that part and add it to this part. And, and if you follow the instructions, if you work your way through that, you'll actually have whatever the picture was on the front of the box. And unless you missed a function somewhere in the middle of putting it all together, it all works. Uh, Craig was building one of these the other day. And, uh, and he was sharing with me about how he thought he'd missed a piece or something, a sequence in that process. And I could lament with him and, and empathize with him because I had numerous times built a project with my boys and found out that we had to unstack many pieces to get back to the one part that I didn't build correctly in the middle of it. You know, when we look at covenants and we look at how God has worked with man over time, I, I think sometimes it feels like it might have been that manual process. Because we're looking at, at it from the text this morning. Uh, we're going to actually see that uh, God says, I'm making a new covenant with you. And as we look at covenants, we're going to see some of these pieces. But what I, my hope is today is that as we look at, at covenants and take just a little bit of time to, uh, I know Alan had done some of that work for us, and there's just a ton in this, so I won't, this will not be an exhaustive uh, study this morning. But my hope is that we'll begin to see some of the pieces that fit together. Although it's happened over thousands of years, God is the master craftsman, and he's building something, he did build something, and we are benefiting from that today. And I think it's an amazing thing. And it's a beautiful picture of what God does. 
So moral of that illustration is if you get Legos with a large manual, follow the instructions. Makes life way better at the end of the Christmas weekend when you finally get it together. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. And I'm, I, I, this is 31 part 1, because we're only going to look at two verses out of Jeremiah 31 today. Next week, we're going to pick up and, and hopefully tie it all together and, and make a, a better picture out of it, uh, I think. It could be that this is part 1 of 3, I don't know yet. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with her fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now, there's much more in this text, and, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to look at that next week. But as we think about a new covenant, what is the picture that we're getting from God with the nation of Israel? Well, we've got to remember the context, right? They're in the middle of being disciplined. They're in the middle of being dispersed. The nation is being, is being overrun by Babylon. And God has said that if you're going to trust me, if you want salvation with me uh, and to be restored and to have that hope, then you need to go with Babylon. You need to go into captivity. Don't stay in the nation. So we have this, this horrible time of discipline. God's wrath is being poured out. Uh, discipline, at least, is being poured out on the nation of Israel for the rebellion. Uh, last week, as we looked in chapter 30, he says that I'm just in this. I'm just doing what you deserve. I'm being a just God in this process because your, your, your wound is incurable. Your sickness cannot be healed. But he says that he will do it. And this picture that he uh, is proclaiming is going to begin this process in this new covenant. But one of the things that we need to look at, and I think this is a part of the cool part of this, is we need to go back and look at some of the covenants. And we're only going to look at three today, so that's an hour each. So it won't take us real long. It's going to be a very, very brief overview. Please understand that what we're doing is a very, very brief overview of these covenants. Um, I'll give you some passages that you can go back and read later, uh, but this morning is just a brief overview. The first that we're going to look at, because it starts with the nation of Israel, is the Abrahamic covenant. So if you turn back to Genesis, do you guys ever, you know, sometimes when you're doing, these, doing the studies and I'm going through this process, I forget how early on in our scripture that we actually see the covenant starting, and Abraham's all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. I forget sometimes how involved this process is in all of scripture, but Genesis chapter 12 uh, verses 1 through 3, we see the beginning of this relationship with, with uh, the covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, notice that his name is Abram at this point, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We have this great, this covenant, this promise of a blessing to all the nations, that Abraham's going to be a nation that blesses all other nations. Now, as we follow through the story, which we will not do today, 
Um, but we are going to look at one particular part, and that's how God, uh, how God makes the covenant with him, this, full, this promise that God gives him in this covenant. But we know in the Abrahamic covenant that he has a son, a promise of a son. And Abraham is getting beyond childbearing age, his bride is as well, and they're getting nervous, and so they take it upon themselves uh, to try and solve God's promise for them. Right? You guys remember the story? Sarah gives Abram her servant, and, and they go and have a child, and God comes back and says, that's not what I told you. This was not my promise. And so if you check, it, you can actually read in Galatians, Paul talks a lot about the son of promise and, and the slave and how those uh, two things play into our relationship with the covenants today. But we're not going to focus on that this morning. One of the the key things that we're going to look at is that through Abraham, the promise of a nation that will be a blessing to all families on the earth, this promised covenant of Abraham's offspring becoming so prominent that they are more than the stars. And God confirms that promise in Genesis chapter 15. Look in Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. I believe Alan actually spoke to this uh, in the time when he was talking about covenants, and it's just it's a spectacular piece that we want to remember um, as we think about covenants and how God established this. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 17, it says this, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a, smoke, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the land of the Kenzanites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Hittites, I went back up, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the the Gershonites, the Gergashites, and the Jebusites. You know, it doesn't help if you go back and reread them. I need to put my... There we go. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it fun? I'll just... Uh, I'm always nervous about these these types of things where I'm given lots of information. And uh, so I actually practice those names again ahead of time, and it did not help me at all. <laughs> I hate that. If you guys could just hear what it sounds like in my head, it was flawless. But God's making this covenant. Earlier in that passage, if you go back and read Genesis chapter 15, you'll actually see that God and Abraham enter into a blood covenant where Abraham sacrifices these animals, lay them on their side. And the tradition for the Jews was that both parties would walk through that blood confirming that covenant. And so if any person, any party in that covenant failed or broke that covenant, they would be guilty of the blood of those animals and their, their life would be required. And so in that picture, what we see is that Abraham actually goes into a deep sleep and he actually sees God walk through, not walk, he floats through. That's how God does his stuff. But God actually, the picture of God, this, this smoking fire pot and this torch, it actually goes between those, those, uh, the pieces of the animal, affirming that covenant with Abraham. And, and the premise, the basic uh, process is that God says, I'm going to fulfill his covenant regardless of who breaks it. So you have this, this promise, this covenant with Abraham, 
of a promised son who's going to be a, create a nation that will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And God says, I will fulfill this on my character based on my righteousness, not based on your faithfulness as a people. That's the picture of the Abrahamic covenant. I, I, I admit it's a very, very light overview, but that's a basic picture of the covenant. The very one that uh, Jeremiah actually mentions is the Mosaic Covenant. We're not going to read all of the laws, so you can relax. But we are going to go and look at what Paul says about this covenant, because it's very important how we see the covenant. How many of you guys love rules? Now, some of you love rules. Don't, don't be hiding out in here. I know some of you love rules. I know you. You guys like things to have a structure, you like them to have a purpose, and any of us that aren't particularly fond of rules really rub you the wrong way. Okay, I get it. But it's important when we see this that we understand what the value was behind what God did in the Mosaic Covenant. The purpose of this is well stated in Romans uh, by Paul. He explains what uh, what this whole law is about, what the purpose was. Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 19, Paul says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works, uh, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I want to, we're going to read more of that passage because I, I, I love where Paul goes with this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The purpose as Paul states it in the law, was to make us know what sin was. It was to expose the heart of man, to to, to reveal to us the need for a redeemer, the need for this this perfect, righteous intervention by God in Christ Jesus. Did the law expose that? Absolutely, right? And Jesus, when he comes back in Matthew, he says, let me explain it just a little bit more. If, if you look at a woman to lust after, you're guilty of adultery. If you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Jesus took it not just from the action, but he said, this law is so perfect that it actually, it actually regulates the intentions of your heart. And that's how God sees us. And so not only is the law, is the law set for that purpose, uh, but, but it affects it. it, it accomplished its purpose very, very well. As we saw in Jeremiah, that from the very beginning of their covenant relationship with God, the nation of Israel, their hearts were always against him, and and they repeatedly walked away from their relationship with him. The second thing that we see in the text 
uh, about the Mosaic Covenant that, that Paul shares with us is in Galatians chapter 3. And again, if you are interested in how uh, some of the covenant stuff works, Galatians is a great book to read. Paul uh, helps uh, argue some of the, the differences for that for the Jews and helps uh, actually uh, explain how uh, those things apply, especially the, between Abraham uh, and the son of pro- promise and the son of slavery. But in Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 21. It says this, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned, uh, excuse me, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promises by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now, before Christ, uh, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul's reminding the believers in Galatia that this law, this 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 the the Old Testament law, Moses' law, that it was fulfilled in Christ, but it was given for a purpose. It was incredibly valuable for us. Um, how many of you guys, uh, you know, when, when you think about driving on the road, how many of you appreciate the laws that we have? I, I worded that one perfectly. Right? We, we do. We, let's just be honest. If we didn't have some rule, some, some structure of order, it would be absolute chaos, Right? Everybody went out and did what they wanted to in their cars without any observation to other people around them. It would be nothing but chaos. We actually see some of that when we went down to Mexico and they put us in buses and they were driving us around on these mountain trails that were only wide enough for two and you have two, you know, you go around a corner and there's two buses coming at you side by side in your bus and everybody starts honking the horn. And they actually had a system of sorts, like, who surrendered in that moment? Uh, I'm not sure how they communicated who was the chicken, but at least in my experience, we made it. But there was a moment that we actually witnessed in that environment where two guys did not agree with who was supposed to submit, and the buses exchanged drivers because they just took a head-on collision. So when we think about rules, when we think about the the law being a guardian, God put this in place for a purpose. And part of it was to actually hold back the the evil intentions, the desires of of, of man's heart in this process while they waited for God's perfect timing for Christ to arrive. Now, I know it's a horrible illustration, but when I was doing the Lego stuff and I was building the motor, if I started improvising on the motor because I like to hot rod things, so I thought, well, this would be cool. I should finish this out. I actually found one of the projects where I had to take it back apart because I couldn't get it into the spot that the rest of it was designed for. 
And so following those, re- those rules, following the design by the, the, the engineers that designed it, meant that I got, was able to accomplish the whole process, and the product worked, the, the toy worked very well, at least for the first jump. I, that's one thing I don't, you know, when you have boys and you build a Lego cart that has shocks, you should add some rules. Like, don't run it down the stairs on its first run. Because then you have to rebuild the whole thing. So rules are good. It's just we don't like them, do we? I mean, do we appreciate the fact that God placed his character and his person in the very nature of who he was in, a, in, in the Ten Commandments? Do we really love that? Do we like the fact that Christ actually came and said, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you should be the least? I don't think we like that. Pastors have parking spots in the front of the church. What the heck is that? I mean, when you guys come to church, do you guys think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to park, I have good legs, I'm going to park as far away from the front door as I can, because I'm going to make sure other people can get to the front of the church easier than me. I mean, that sounds simple, but do we do that? Christ said that if we die to ourselves, if we're the least, we'll be the greatest in his kingdom. I mean, the church should be nothing but a constant pursuit to put other people first. But it's not the case. The Mosaic Covenant was established to help protect Israel to be a guardian for them. It was designed to define sin, to expose the sin of, our, of the wretched human heart. And finally, it also was used to establish a sacrificial system. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered in not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself Uh, to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. 
For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundations of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The Mosaic law established for us the sacrificial system, the blood requirement for the sin payment that each of us bear. And so as Israel repeatedly brought the sacrifices in, as they repeatedly dealt with the death and blood of animals to remind them of the payment of their sin, it was meant to turn our eyes to the wretchedness and the horror of our sin, to the pain that, that we all suffer under in the results of the consequences of a lifetime separated from God, eternity separated from God because of our sin. And in that time, in that moment, Mosaic law painted such a perfect picture. Isn't it crazy? And they, they didn't appreciate it. Kind of like us. It's amazing to me how the heart of man doesn't change much as we look at, continue to look at uh, our history and we look at ourselves. Um, the third, third commandment that we're going to look at today is, um, and again, I acknowledge this is just brief. It's the Davidic promise or the Davidic covenant. Uh, it, it, the, the promise that he received in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is um, the, uh, the promise of an eternal kingdom. If you look in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12. Second Samuel 12. When your days are, uh, 7, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up uh, your offspring after you who shall come from your, your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all of these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David received a covenant from God that because of, of his relationship with him, and I think it was because of his humility, that he actually, in, in when his sin was exposed, he humbled himself and, and he pursued the heart of God. God established an eternal kingdom with him. Isn't that great? His sons were all flawless after that. They were a great picture of the coming king, right? No. So frustrating. If, if only one of them would have succeeded and we could have looked to, to them for the answers of how to do it right. I, I love this promise, and I love how, how David fits into this. And, and again, there's, there's much more in here, but the summary of it is wrapped up in Isaiah chapter 9. Um, and and we, just, we don't have time to pull all the pieces in this morning. Um, but in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we see this, this promise of this coming king, coming Messiah. 
uh, and it, it actually is part of the, the Davidic kingdom as well. But uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I think one of the things that's so amazing about David and, and the picture that he brings for us in, in the covenant world and in what, what Christ is going to accomplish in this new covenant is that in David's time, Israel actually saw peace. Under his leadership, uh, and, and I mean, he was a fierce king, but he was a loving and a, and a kind king, and he did, was amazing. I don't think Israel's ever experienced anyone else that, that actually treated the nation and, and dealt with the Lord and dealt with the, the issues of that kingdom in such a way that it, they brought peace in all of that time. And, and Solomon actually experienced the blessing of David's kingdom and all the work that he did and that peace that was there. So if we were to summarize again just briefly, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and the world was blessed through him. All nations were to receive a blessing through him. Moses obeyed God and gives Israel the law, which exposes sin and the need for redemption. It was also part of the protection that God gave to them to help bring them back, a point that they could be tethered to and to protect their hearts from wandering to the full extent that they could. And David has a heart after the Lord's heart and becomes a king that brings peace to the nations. Even in his disobedience, even as his sin was exposed, he humbles himself and repents. It's this amazing picture. And next week, we're going to look more at the new covenant more extensively. But I just want to point out two key things in the new covenant that we see in this picture uh, at, the, at the end of the Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, I actually th I don't think I had that in the text for you guys today. You're going to have to open your own Bibles. Julie came and asked me if I had any changes, and I'm like, not that I know of, and uh, I don't. But you're still going to have to open your Bibles and follow with me. Uh, because if you look at the end of chapter, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verse 34, end of 34, I actually picks up in uh, halfway through verse 33, he says this, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the end of 34, he says this, And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no longer. What's really amazing in this moment, in this process, uh, we actually have this picture of God claiming uh, all those who follow him, all of those who believe in him, in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, verses 5 through 8. He says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the living, light, uh, of living water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God uses that term that I will be their God and they will be my people. He will be my son. This, this picture of what the end of all things are going to look like, it, it, the conclusion of our, of our time here on earth, of, of, of man's time here on earth, God's going to restore a relationship and he will be God and will be his people. It's the very promise of the new covenant that we see in Jeremiah. That God's going to solve this relational issue that we have through his son, through this new covenant, and we will become people that follow him. We will be solely and wholly committed to our relationship with God. Not like we are in our current condition, not like Israel was in their current condition where they struggle with their flesh, where they struggle with earthly desires or, or the, the situations that are around them. And I love that he finishes with, I will forgive and remember their sins no more. He's completing the process. Remember, part of what we're looking at in, in these covenants is that God's making relational covenants with the people, with, with mankind. And if we fulfill these covenants, if we honor them and if we complete them, then there's blessings that follow. And in every setting, man has failed to complete, man's failed to, to fulfill those covenants. At some point, our sin has broken that to the point where God literally comes to the people of Israel and says, you're incurable. In Jeremiah 29, your, your wound cannot be healed. There's nothing that you can do to solve this, but I can. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see this. one of my favorite passages and and uh, been just loving this particular passage Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 says this and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for the time until his enemies should be should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. He, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The beauty of the new covenant, what God is doing, what God has established in this new covenant is that he is fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that he's going to make the, the nation of Israel, he's going to make Abraham's seed a blessing to all nations, to, to fulfill all of that. And he says, I'm going to do it even if you break the covenant as he goes through. Uh, he, Jesus fulfills the Mosaic covenant in that he completes the sacrificial system, his blood being sinless and, and, and able to actually pay for all sins for all time. He completes that. He's the perfect and only sacrifice that can do that at all. And in the same nature of the relationship between in the Davidic covenant, Jesus Christ, through his death, through his reign, as the coming king, makes peace for all mankind. And Hebrews tells us that when 
There is forgiveness of these. There is no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer a sacrifice needed. That's the picture of the covenants. That's, that's the picture of the completeness of what God's doing right now with the nation of Israel. Do you see the contrast in this? He's sending them off for discipline because they're so unwilling to accept his love. They're so unwilling to accept his law, his forgiveness, his plan, his purpose. He's sending them into exile. He's actually removing them from the promised land. Because of the hardness of their heart, because of the wretchedness of their sinful desires. And yet in the midst of that, he is promising them complete restoration. Next week, we're going to look at how complete. As I started through the passage this week, I thought, wow, I'll just do all of chapter 31, but I couldn't. But as we think about it this week, as we, as we wrestle with who we are under the new covenant, because you and I are under the new covenant. That's the joyful part of this. We get to look at Scripture and go back and see what Paul is reminding us of, of who Christ was and what he's fulfilled. We're under the new covenant. Yay. If any of you cheer more for your sports today than that, I'm going to come and smack you in the back of the head. We're under the new covenant. We are, we, our sins are forgiven. They're paid for. They're done. You guys, it's so incredibly challenging for us to accept this. I get it, right? Because when you read Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 14, he says that one single offering is perfected uh, for all time those who are being sanctified. I get it. The tension's there. I see the wretchedness of my heart. I watch myself struggle with sin and struggle with bad attitudes. I'm watching that happen, and yet I'm reading in the text that it says I'm perfected for all time. So how do we deal with that? Part of it is we got to go back and look at the creator, the author of these covenants. How well did the people do in fulfilling them? They did not quite get an E for effort, right? Uh, that's a little harsh. We maybe should give them an E. The point being is that there was repeated failure by the people who were in these covenants with God. And he fulfilled them. Now, I'm not saying that you go out and, I mean, we know Paul says this, you, so should we go out and sin so that grace may abound? No, that's not the point. That's not the point. But we should be living by this truth. We should be celebrating. We should be, we should be exuberant at some level about what God's doing in our kingdom, in our nation today. If he's capable of managing a nation of people, of capable of managing covenants over generations of time to fulfill his plan and purpose through Christ, to establish a new covenant that he's promised beforehand, then he can handle whatever situations we're in now. He can handle whatever issues you and I struggle with in our personal lives. That's been paid for. And that's a beautiful, amazing truth about the covenant of God. But how are you going to live with it this week? How are we going to live in light of this truth that God's made a new covenant? One that is still dependent on God's character? That he offers to those of us that would believe? Knowing that our wretchedness, our brokenness, is incurable, we can't do it. But God says, I got it. And I'm going to handle it. And you won't even, 
the, the craziest part is, is that we would never do it this way, would we? I wouldn't. I'd, I think I would have been like Moses. In fact, I, unfortunately, I think if I'm really honest, I have been. Uh, I've been not like Moses, um, like Jonah. Just wipe them out and start over. What I didn't realize is that I was in the just I was in the group of people that would get wiped out. I thought I was sitting over here, you know, justly going, "Oh Lord, those wretched people that aren't like me." And yet, when you begin to understand sin and you begin to understand the covenant, the holiness of God that's present in the Mosaic Law, that's present in all of these covenants, that's revealed in Christ in the new covenant, when we begin to see how, how that tension in our lives is exposed because of, that, because of the word of God, it should respond, it should cause in us a response of humility and adoration of God. So my hope for the, you this week is that you actually would celebrate with me that you would worship God this week. That he's able to take all of these, all of these what, what would seem like different plans, that he was adding a covenant here, and because of the wretchedness of the people, he had to make another covenant. Because of the wretchedness of the he had to make, that wasn't what happened. God knew exactly how he was going to reveal his plan and his purpose all along. In fact, in Acts, we, we're not reading it today, but in Acts uh, chapter 10, it actually says that, that he's, he did all of this stuff uh, and, and, he, and he made it all happen in this time frame, exercising his patience and forbearance with us. That, he, that he's drug it out this long to, because he's kind and, he, and he's exercising forbearance with us. Isn't that amazing? He even puts up with us. In the new covenant, in this completed work that Christ did on the cross, you and I don't have to face the consequences of eternal wrath for our sin because Christ paid for them. If we are his children, then we are free. We are perfected for all time while we're being sanctified. I know that in my life that is a hard truth to accept. I become discouraged and frustrated by the wrestling that I do in my, in my own life. And I think part of what we need to do is get our eyes back on the Word of God, get our eyes back on the truth of what He tells us is true and wrestle with that reality. Who are we today? Who are you? Are you, are you a child of God? Are you experiencing any of that freedom? I think there's times in our church lives where we've had a lot of religious information given to us. And it hasn't resulted in transformation of heart. So I want to encourage you this morning as, as we go into next week, we're gonna, I'm going to look more at uh, this new covenant and, and the totality of which the language is used of, of the complete restoration. But I really want you to be wrestling this week and, and, and do, some, do some work in your own life like I've been doing this week for myself. God, am I, am I living in this truth that I'm under the new covenant with you? Am I, am I living in the truth that you've paid for all my sin? One payment covered all sin. Or am I allowing my own pride, my own selfishness, my own struggles in my life 
to keep me just groveling in the ground and dragging my, my knuckles around behind me thinking, woe is me. What's God got for you? I, I, my, my heart in this is that you would see the glory of the plan, the glory of the design. Again, it's a horrible illustration, but it works. The Legos. When I bought that, that truck for my boys, it was the coolest looking truck in the world on the picture. But there was times in the midst of building that for the couple of hours that we built that on that Christmas morning. And my little boys were trying to help. I got frustrated. I thought this was the dumbest thing I could have ever purchased them. I should have just bought them the cheap plastic one that came together. What I couldn't have seen and what I've learned later in my life was my boys have built so many things out of those projects. They've spent hours and hours building stuff with those goofy Lego kits. Some of this stuff worked, some of it didn't. But it ended up being, being such an incredible time of engagement for me. Imagine if God was so sovereign, so sovereign. I don't think you can say it that way, but we'll just go that. Let's just go with me on this. Imagine if God was sovereign to the point where he individually walked each of you that he's called into a relationship with him, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our tendency for sin, knowing the families he was going to put us into. He said, this is how I'm going to best craft your eternal destination. You will not like every day. In fact, you may be very frustrated with some of the days. But because I'm good, because I'm sovereign, I'm going to handcraft an eternal relationship for you and for me. Wouldn't that be amazing if he was sovereign? I guess you guys have to decide if you believe he's sovereign or not. A God that can go back and establish a plan generation after generation after generation and accomplish his will. To me, that's pretty good evidence that he's sovereign and he's capable of fulfilling the new covenant that he's promised us. Father, we just thank you that you are gracious and kind. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you illustrate and demonstrate that in your word. But God, I got to be honest, I struggle on certain days to remember and to believe that truth. When life's going good, Father, I, I tend to forget to even talk to you. When life's going hard, I'm upset because I feel like you haven't done a good enough job to make my life better. And yet when I look in Scripture, it sure looks like you are planning an eternal relationship with your children that you will stop at nothing to help them be ready for. And so, God, I want to thank you for those opportunities for growth. I want to thank you, Father, that you uh, orchestrated these covenants with the different individuals in the covenants, and that, God, you put them on paper so that we could come and see and learn. I pray this week as we wrestle with this new covenant, what does it mean? That under this new covenant, Lord, you will remember our sins no longer. 
What does it mean that my sin is paid for completely? Pray that you would draw us into your word, that you would draw us into a discussion with you this week around those two points, and that we, Lord, would do some serious business with you about what we believe. Thank you that you are faithful and that you exercise forbearance and patience with us as you lead us in our relationship with you. Help us to see who you are more clearly this week in our time in your word. And I pray that you prepare our hearts and prepare the message for next week that we would understand uh, maybe just a little bit more clearly the, the vastness of this new covenant, the beauty of the new covenant. and that it would change how we live our day-to-day lives. We thank you and give you all the glory in your name. Amen. You want to stand with us for our last song?
the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Have a good week. Don't forget if you're going to the membership class, that's right after service.